afternoon, everyone, and thank you for choosing to spend your afternoon here with us. For those who don't know, I'm Patricia Rosenfaber, and I do a podcast show to help people maximise property value. It's called Maximising Property Value. Values. It's on all the popular platforms, so all your listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Audible, all of them. That, however, used to be a monologue. But since the middle of November of last year, I've added a guest series. And my guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Aitayo. We are going to get to know Elizabeth a little bit better, a little bit more. And if you don't know her at all, you'll get to know her today. So who is Elizabeth? She is a general practitioner. She's a personal finance expert and founder of Medics on Fire. So what is Medics on Fire? It's a social and educational initiative designed to help healthcare professionals achieve financial independence and so that they can retire empowered. She helps healthcare professionals sort out their personal finances and create multiple streams of income while they're working. Elizabeth, welcome to Maximising Property Values. Now, before we go into your main property activities and your Medics on Fire stuff, let me ask you your two questions. You've only got two. I thought I'd be kind and not make them three. So for people who are new to this show, I ask all my guests two or three questions and they don't know what I'm going to ask them. And that, for me, is part of the fun. <laughs> um, so your questions today are these. So let me do number one and then I'll let you answer Then I'll do number two because some people say they can't remember. I'm sure you will, but I just thought maybe I am being a bit unfair, asking both, you know, in one go and expecting people to answer them and remember the next one. So your first one is this. What's the most disturbing thing that you've experienced as a GP? So clearly these are non-property ones, both of them, you can't answer to do with property, but I think your question is so direct anyway, I don't think you'd be able to weave property into it. So that's your first question. Wow, <laughs> that is a big question. Um, good afternoon, everybody. And thank you so much, Patricia, for having me on this Clubhouse session and also your podcast. I'm really excited for it. Um, gosh, I'm looking forward to the property questions now. Um, <laughs> so what's the most disturbing thing that I have experienced? And, and, and I'll try and share without being too, um, you know, giving away too much, of course. As healthcare professionals, we still have to think about um managing confidentiality, not because our audience or our patients will ever be on sessions like this or could be, but it's just good just to maintain that air of mystery around some of the things that we, we hear and we learn from people. Um, I think one of the things that um, I've got to say as a caveat is as healthcare professionals, we always as much as possible operate from a non-judgmental position. So we are privileged to hear and to see and to become privy to some of the most, you know, the, sometimes the worst sides of human nature. Um, and if I can make it topical, for example, if you see a very, very popular case that's going on around sexual abuse right now, for example, allegations to life of sexual abuse, um, we get to see some of these things on a very, very human, very personal level when we meet with either the patients or even the alleged or confirmed abusers of cases. So I would definitely say for me personally, I think the most disturbing things that I have um, experienced in my career would have to be some of the work that we did around child protection. So actually I wanted to be a pediatrician for many years. When I, was, um, start, when I first started my medical career, from when I was 10, I wanted to become a doctor. And that's when I wanted to start. Um, that's when I made a decision I was going to do paediatrics. I literally made plans during that time to even work in the US was one of my dreams. And I did my electives in the US. Um, but actually, a really challenging part of that for me was the child protection element. 
So that was all different forms of abuse, whether or not it was neglect, whether it was emotional abuse, whether or not it was sexual abuse. Um, and of course, when I think of it, there are particular cases that I can, I can think of even now as I'm sharing with you, um, even now that I can reflect on um, that really, you know, those cases that just stay with you and really, really worry you and concern you. And then fast forward many years later, um, did a little bit of psych and as part psychiatry, sorry. And as part of that, we you might sometimes have to cover the forensic psych wards where these were people who were um, had already been um, convicted of all sorts of crimes, but they required medical care, clinical care, um, and they had mental health issues. So they might have to be in the specific forensic ward rather than in the prison. Um, and again, sometimes when you sit with some of these individuals and you hear um, some of the things that they had done and some of the ongoing thoughts, I think for me, these will be some of the most disturbing. And I think that's probably the level of detail I might want to share. So it doesn't become much more salacious and more gruesome than it needs to be. Um, but amazing question, um, Patricia, amazing. Thank you. Oh, gruesome and salacious. That's what I was aiming for. <laughs> no, honestly, thank you. Thank you. I, I completely get that. And that is actually also very good because at the same time, you, it, it would have been awkward if you'd shared something which then stayed with the listeners forevermore. Um, so, it, it, you know, and, and if, I, if I may, actually, I, 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 and I think I can do this on behalf of everyone in the room, and other people who are going to be listening to this afterwards. Do you know what you guys thank you so much for what you do for us? You know, all you medics, all you people in the NHS, we really, really, really appreciate what you do. You know, putting yourselves in harm's way every day, all the time, just in order to make sure that we are, you know, kept healthy and we are kept safe. So thank you, thank you. Right, now, question number two, what is the most heartwarming thing that you've experienced as a GP? Oh, again, another amazing question. And I almost want to think about it because so many experiences come to mind. <laughs> so many experiences. So thank you so much for your thanks um, on behalf of healthcare professionals. I think before the pandemic, um, so again, we do a job where genuinely we do, we're not seeking for the thanks. And we're not say, I'm not saying that because we're, we're these um, wonderful people, but actually, you know, you're trained to do it. And um, for many of us, you're proficient in doing it. You do genuinely enjoy doing it and you do genuinely care about people. But I think with the pressures and the stresses of the pandemic, I will be honest, um, I've shared this before in one of my, um, um, in one of my communities, I had my appraisal last September and it was a really interesting appraisal because we talked about the impact of the um, pandemic. And I remember sharing with him some of the changes that we've noticed in patient behavior towards us in the healthcare system. And I will be honest, it's been really, really challenging. But again, as a healthcare professional, you understand sort of why, because the pandemic has happened to all of us. So patients have felt it, the system has felt it, and 100% we've felt it. Um, I think it's hard to choose the most heartwarming because one of the good things about general practice is that you follow people from cradle to grave is the phrase that we say, and even beyond, you follow generations of people. So you think about someone like myself, who's only been a GP for like, um, you know, like a decade. So you're following people from cradle to grave and you are walking with people along that journey as they develop themselves, they plan to have their families, they plan to have their homes. So some of the, heartwarming things I can think of beyond kind of like the cards and the gifts that you get from patients, which are really sweet. Um, I can think about specific patients who've made the effort to come back to you um, and just really kind of give you something. So um, um, let's say, I'm just trying to think of a specific example. I, I, so let's say um, I, I remember a lady as a result of sorting out her council issues, which wasn't really, you know, it's not within our remit, but she had been having so much challenges and she needed letters done, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, as GP, you're both counsellor, your doctor, your your medic, your your um your social worker sometimes. <laughs> um, and I remember you're, you're, you're even sometimes advisor on relationships. Um, and I remember her coming in and bringing like a little necklace 
um, bring like a little necklace. Um, I couldn't accept it only because I, did, <laughs> I didn't know anything about how, and it was such an odd gift for her to bring, but she bought it accompanied with a card and it was just so amazing just what she wrote in it. Um, I remember again, another um, patient. So I used to do end of life. Um, I actually had a, a postgraduate diploma in geriatric medicine and I was kind of like end of life lead and also cancer lead for many years in some of my roles. Um, and again, I remember um, a patient coming who not, not many people had listened to or she didn't feel heard. And she was one of those patients that in medicine, um, I, I won't use the actual term we use, but that others use, but basically they think they have something wrong with them um, and they come with a lot of different things. So, you know, by the time they walk through the door, the doctor is a bit like, oh, apprehensive about what this patient is going to come, come with. And she's come with this for like several years and she happened to turn up on my doorstep. Um, and, you know, just based on the history, actually just as a clinician, I'm sure any other clinician would have done it. But I think it was just perhaps the gentleness and a bit of, um, this was probably my first year as a fully fledged GP, and um, probably the gentleness and maybe just a bit of space that I gave to her. Um, fast forward, um, it turned out that this time around, she did unfortunately have something wrong with her. Um, so I took on her case with a practice and I then became the liaison. I met with her, um, with her husband regularly, had a conversation with her. Um, and unfortunately, um, she passed away. It turned out to be um, a malignancy. So apologies, we should have maybe done a trigger warning from the beginning of it. But I remember I could still see it sitting with her before she did pass away um, and her just being really, really grateful for the fact that this was in her own home, the fact that um, I took her seriously and we did investigations. And it was like six months between that diagnosis and then what happened um, and eventually when she passed away. And then when she did eventually pass away, I remember her husband um, coming to the practice just to come and say hi to me and just to say thank you. And many GPs and many doctors will have stories like that. Already as I'm speaking, I'm thinking of a number of different stories of just overwhelming warmth from patients um, and even colleagues sometimes that really brings you, um, you know, makes you humble for what you do. So I think that's probably what I would share for now. Thank you, Patricia. Great questions. Really great. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. Do you know, uh, that that lady that you've just spoken about, don't we all just just wish that our GPs were like that? I, I, I'm, I'm actually quite lucky. I, 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 yeah, I have to admit. But I know that there are lots of people who do moan about their GPs not listening to them. And people are then therefore very worried. Um, that there was there was a, a thing in the in the news, I think, over the last maybe two to three, possibly four years, where there was this nurse. So she was actually working in the NHS and she'd gone for investigations and she was told it was nothing. It then turned out that she did, she also had a, you know, what you've called a malignancy. I think I prefer that word. Um, and just before she passed, she was saying that, you know, I've been, I feel let down and I'm, I'm part of the NHS and this has happened you know what how many other people are not being you know correctly diagnosed anyway so you know thank god that you were there to listen to her because you know if nothing else she had the peace of mind that people weren't looking at her funny and people weren't looking at her as if she was crazy and people weren't looking at her thinking you hypochondriac so again on behalf of that woman i have to say thank you i'm 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 one of these people that I'm very appreciative. Anyway, um, so let us move on to property and about making money and how you help healthcare professionals. So maybe even there might be people here because I know that you're into property. So we will get to property people in the room. So don't, 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 don't disappear. But Elizabeth focuses on healthcare professionals because she has walked that path. She knows what they're going through and she knows what the NHS is all about. So she she is in a very good position to help people who are doing the same thing that she's doing. But what she's doing can apply to anyone. So Elizabeth, how do you help healthcare professionals get to where you'd like to see them be? 
great question and I like the way you framed that question and I'm going to just caveat it to say that essentially what I do with healthcare professionals is help them get to where they want to be and my expertise or my focus is that they have independence they have freedom and they feel empowered now if that's the healthcare professional if that's if that's a desire of a healthcare professional for example listening or a healthcare professional that comes across my path that's what I'm really, really, really good at. You know how you know this is this is my this is my bag. <laughs> this is my lane. That's what I'm really, really good at. Um, so the way I do that is I focus on a number of different things. One of the first ones is really addressing that money mindset and their their relationship with money. Now there are a number of different programs, etc. But actually, at the core of it is that money mindset, is breaking those chains, breaking those ideas and those thought processes that we have embedded in ourselves and breaking the ones particularly that are unique to us. And Patricia is absolutely correct. You know, um, the things I share, of course, can apply to all people uh, who are looking to achieve financial independence. But there are a number of reasons why I focus on healthcare professionals, um, not just because I'm one, but because I've been responsible in leadership um, for workforce um, of healthcare professionals, so workforce, primary care, and also across different specialties within healthcare. Um, and I've also been involved in leadership um, in commissioning, in also determining how we commission healthcare services within two areas, two big geographical areas. So I have seen the interplay between the personal ideas, the personal desires, the personal working conditions of the healthcare professional with the way the system works. And so I feel super privileged. And I think, you know, I've done Clubhouse is a great tool for me specifically, because we've done some rooms where I've had, you know, um, nurses, junior nurses, senior nurses, support workers, I've had doctors, I've had dentists, pharmacists just come in the room and them just feeling like it's a safe space for me to just be able to talk about some of the challenges that I am having. And I think for me, that money mindset, that first piece is the thing that I tackle throughout. So sometimes it's explicit, but actually it's around the way I frame the programs that my healthcare professionals get involved in. Then the other element of what I do, and then there's a third. So the second element of what I do is about giving you education and empowerment around your personal finance. So things around budgeting that you would expect, things around understanding your pay, things around understanding your income, things around understanding um, your working conditions and how that fits into your pay. We're doing this month, for example, tax and just keeping it super, super simple. One of the things for us as healthcare professionals is because we know so much, you know, we are experts in our field, in the area of what we know, we have literally human lives in our hands and that is genuinely true. But this is an area where we don't necessarily get the education and sometimes we don't get the support. So therefore, it can feel a little bit daunting to ask for the help. It can feel a bit daunting to ask the question to say, well, actually, I don't know this. And so there's something really powerful about creating a space where people can get that education and empowerment. So whether or not that's from myself directly or from experts that I bring along to be able to share some of that. And then the third thing I do, of course, is the doing. <laughs> so I know there's some of my clients in the audience on Clubhouse right now. They know me. We don't just consume education. We don't just consume content, consume knowledge, because we're very good at being educated. Also. We're very good at learning. We're very good at taking things in. And there is a principle in medicine where it says, um, see one, do one, teach one. So when we were training in medical school, you would see the, um, so for example, let's say it was taking blood, for example. So you would see it being done. You see it being modeled in front of you. Somebody would do that activity in front of you. Then you would do it. So you'd learn how to do it and you would do it. And then eventually, once you get better at doing it, you were encouraged to teach someone else to do it as well. You were encouraged to show someone else how to do it because then that helped you to embed that training. So one of the things that I really try and do, it's not just to soak up knowledge, but then through my programs, I make sure that healthcare professionals actually do it. And then of course, hopefully you then create people who are financially independent and can then encourage other people and grow the community well. So I hope that helped, um, answers your question, Patricia. Oh, amazing, amazing. Thank you very much. Yep. So see it, do it, teach it. Boom. I love that. 
love it, love it, love it. Right, property, 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 property. Right, so tell us, Elizabeth, what are you doing right now? Um, I'm going to ask you some more questions, but let's start from now and then we'll work our way um, backwards. I like the way you ask your questions, Patricia, because <laughs> you, you come in prepared as the person with what you want to say. And then I like it. Keep it to the question. So she, Patricia said now. So really, really exciting right now. So um, myself and my husband are, since we've been together, are, are building our portfolio at a certain pace. And that's really for us a target and a focus. So right now, we've got one main development that we are working on. Um, and then another project, and I suppose, you know, when you hear people say terms around development, refurbishments, etc., um, it's another project that I would really call a refurbishment, but I suppose because there will be planning involved, because we're probably going to um, create and extend, and, and we're going to do a couple of different, so it's rare and a side extension, we're going to change the whole layout of the property. So you could argue maybe it's like a mini development, but in my um, terms, I would call that really a refurbishment for, for, for my, for my um, terms so those are the two major things that we're doing and then of course ongoing management of the portfolio we, we already have so the development um, patricia is aware of this particular development is a property that we're doing in east london um awesome because it means uh, for this particular property we're using other people's money for it um and we even had the option to be able to create flats which is a conversation that i had with patricia earlier on when we were considering it because we were going to go for an HMO but we had an option to be able to go for flats for this particular development um, but obviously liaising with the council and having different conversations about their needs and you know again my clients know I'm really, really super um, focused on when you're looking to develop or refurbish or whatever it is that you want to do for a piece of property I come from the school of um, read and understand what the local area needs, starting with the local council's plan, and then literally deliver what they need. <laughs> then it's easier, then you get things approved, and then they say yes, because you literally deliver to them what they need. So we've had really close relationships where we've been engaging with them and talking to them and making sure that they are fully aware about what we are doing, and therefore um, we're not going to go down the route of creating something that they don't necessarily need um, and then have to jump through the hoops of having that approved. So we're doing right now a, um, it's going to, um, it's a HMO, so House of Multiple Occupation, um, all on suite but one room. Uh, that they're going to share um, and we've got two kitchens in that property and it's quite a big property so it's gone from a two-bedroom house um, essentially to, to end as a really big six-bedroom house um, but potentially a number of diff different units can be self-contained but we've just kept it as open as possible to keep within the rules um, so we're not contravening anything with the local council. Ooh, very exciting, very, very exciting. So it, it, so that's that's in planning at the moment so you know good luck fingers crossed you know let's hope it all kind of like you know comes out as you expect it and even better even better um so just to clarify um patricia so literally build is almost done um the plans in terms of actually just the the property is all been approved the only thing in style the class three c3 to c4 is the, literally what we're waiting for which again because we've followed, so this property, because of the space, like I said, it could have been kind of three to four mixture of one bedroom and studio flat. So if you just envision that space and the, the mammoth of what's been created instead of what was there before, that's the first thing. Then the second thing is it actually could have been kind of like an eight slash nine bedroom HMO with a good, decent double sized bedrooms. But because in that local area, they were quite clear about what they wanted and, um, that was the reason why we've gone for the six, but still the space itself is huge when you actually look at the property. Thank you, I'm done speaking. Wow, so from a two bedroom house to a six room HMO, um, five en suite and one that- So sorry, so- Doesn't Yeah, happen. so four en suite and then, and oh, then four the two will be sharing share. that one, exactly. Oh, right, okay, 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 great stuff. So are you, is is that in a local authority area? Because I can't remember. That has 
an, um, an HMO article for, or is it is it just okay to change from one to the other? Very great question. Yes, it's an article four area, absolutely. Um, but again, and, and this is the point I'm making, um, so I've got other properties in other article four areas, so, and I didn't, and that was before I even knew about, you know, um, the, the restrictions with Article 4 necessarily from an HMO perspective, because it was just about refurbish, refurbishing at that time. So, um, so the Article 4 element wasn't a deterrent to us only because we were having those conversation even from the point of purchase as to what will be approved. So that's part of the reason that kind of smaller HMO, that six bed was a bit more, um, 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 amenable is that the word to the council than it would have been if we'd been going for the eight bed or the nine bed that the property could have been so yeah you're absolutely right it is an article four area so definitely we had to go for planning for it wow oh do you know i hope it all goes well i hope it all goes well so you, the build is nearly finished how have you what have you experienced in terms of like you know price increases because that's what we're all talking about. You know, materials have gone up in price. Labour has gone up in price. Did, did that affect this development or not? A hundred percent did. <laughs> and I have to answer it because obviously things are still going on at the moment. So we're still having conversations, you know, actively with our contractor and our lead contractor on the project. So um, I have to just bear that in mind. So yes, it did. And um, because of the other refurb that we're doing, spoke to, um, our QS a few, um, I think it was last week, about just price increases and what to expect, for example. And he he says between kind of um, July last year, because we were talking about another refurb, to now, um, or to the end of last year, he's seen price increases about 20 to 25%. Um, and in some, some materials, up to about 30 to 40%. But most materials he's seen really almost everything's got about 20 to 25%. So what this means in context, if, if anybody can really picture it, is that the build that you started last summer, um, whatever pricing you did. So we literally costed as much as we could, as much as was possible, um, every single aspect of this build. Um, and we also went out to a tendering process to get builders to come in and cost for us as well. And then, of course, like... I said we spoke to the QS at the time to get an idea of the costings. Um, so yes, 100% the price increase, we have noted that, we have noticed that. We have been able to mitigate against some of it, um, but it just means that you're eating into your contingency um, very, very rapidly. And, and that's, that's the reality of it all. Wow, thank you. I know it's just so scary, isn't it? And um... You know, people, I, I'm, I'm not sure that people are working this into their, you know, 2022 costs. Because where we used to, where it made sense to have a 20% contingency, I think now, if you're not allowing a 50% contingency, you might not get your work finished. Um, so that's why I'm asking everyone who's into developments how they are finding, you know, the price increases and how they're actually weathering it through. Okay, so well done. But yours is nearly finished anyway, so you're nearly across the line. <laughs> Absolutely. And do you mind if I add another thing just for people just to see how scary the price increases oh, are? please. So, for example... We got some copper, um, you know, for the boilers, etc. Because the whole plumbing and everything has to be done um, for pretty much the whole house, and we got that costed um, uh, a few weeks ago. And literally, as I went to pick up something today before this before this room, I had to pick up something and drop it off at the property. Um, and the guy said to me, "Oh, you know, it's gone up already. If you're going to get it, get it now." But luckily, we have a quote, um, you know, kind of like in in place for a month. And we definitely asked them that question: How long could you quote, quote, um, how long could you hold these prices for us, please? And they did say because we're just waiting for a few other quotes. But he said, um, you know, it's increasing again. He's expecting about twenty five percent to thirty percent from what he quoted us just about a couple of weeks ago. So that's how scary it is if you're not getting things on time. Um, and I think um, one of the things that I would say though is if you're, this is the time that if you are looking to do developments. So we've got some plans about how many developments we want to do on a year on a yearly basis now for the next kind of five to six years. 
um, it's worth thinking about. Um, so we don't have contractors um, on our payroll and a number of other um, developers, you know, who've been doing it for much, much longer. Like I said, for me, I would say generally it was more refurbishment. But again, maybe I'm just quibbling with words there. <laughs> um, but anyway, but other um, other um, more seasoned developers will probably have some of the contractors, so the builders, etc., under their own books. Um, the other thing that they would do is think about storage. So we thought about storage right from the beginning, but of course, um, we 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 were anticipating to have finished the project much much earlier. So we didn't expect that we would be at this turn where we're definitely seeing those price increases. Um, the other thing as well is of course having your own van, for example, so that when things land at the suppliers. You can go there, pick it up really quickly and literally get that delivered. Yes, you can use man, man with a van, which we've used on a number of occasions, but there's just something about starting to have some of these things yourself if you're thinking about doing it long term because you want to be able to get that stuff and just put it somewhere, you know, um, and that's really, really an important part that I would say for 2022, start planning for how you can keep some of these materials and the things that you need. Start planning for that from now. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. Uh, do you know, I'm loving this guest series. Um, you know, if you're new to the room and you've not been in, you know, one of these rooms before, um, I have guests, you know, to my podcast show. And the guest today is Elizabeth. Everyone who's been a guest on this series has just been amazing in sharing you know, the real deal, you know, no lies, no fluffing about just exactly how it's happening. Now, I love your idea about, you know, getting a van. Oh, I wish I could be that bold. And funnily, actually, because uh, um, my husband and I, we used to hire enterprise vans. And if we needed to move things from one place to another, we, you know, we'd kind of like let it all pile up and then we'd get a van and then we'd move it. Um, and it used to cost, they used to cost about 56 pounds a night. And the other day when we literally wanted to move, we wanted to change over like a bed and a mattress um, from one of our, um, one of the flats. It was a hundred and I think 178 pounds. And I was literally looking about a month ahead. Unbelievable, unbelievable. So it's not just the material prices and it's not just the you know the labor prices it's everything that you might need you know regarding your business it's all gone up all gone up um yeah oh yeah okay so that is the well we've got the bad news out of the way so to tell us about your favorite development that will be you know let's move it from from bad news to good news you know happiness full of joy <laughs> So um, I, I, that's a fantastic, fantastic question and um, favourite. So I think, and I, and I share this a lot, and I think I will talk about my very, very, very first property. And I say that because um, it, it genuinely is the property that keeps giving, um, <laughs> even though right now um, I'm still doing a few things to it, but it genuinely has been the property that keeps giving. Um, and, I, and I know I've shared it before, so I'll make sure that I can remember the numbers, um, but it, it was a flat, or it still is a flat. <laughs> it's a, um, what was a two bedroom flat, um, but became a three bedroom flat ensuite, and we're still gonna do a bit more work on it. But, it's a very, very small property. So that's what I'm saying. It's, I wouldn't call it de development, but it was a property that was bought that needed a bit of work at the time. Um, so we're talking over, now we're in 2022, so maybe 12 years ago now. Um, so it needed a bit of work at the time. Um, it has capacity for it to be extended, but still have not even gone in to go and extend that property. And I've even spoken to the local council there and they said, yes, we'll happily support you in doing that. Um, left it for several years because at that time I wasn't as wise, <laughs> I'm going to use the word wise, as I am now. And interestingly, um, it was, I went to a, this was again years ago, it's difficult to remember, somebody invited me at that time to a fielding event, a, a fielding financial event. Um, and they were sharing, and it was Jill Fielding then that was doing the session. And they were sharing around, if you have property, you can add value and you can refinance and you could do these things, et cetera, et cetera. And I had just bought that property and just let it sit there. I didn't even think anything of it at all at the time. 
um, after that session and after a number of different conversations and my mum being a key driver of some of these conversations, I then started to actually see the value of the property, refinance it. Um, and then over the years, I've changed it around. I've actually done a proper refurb in it, into it, you know, develop the property itself internally. So this is all internal. Um, and like I said, now it's a three bedroom ensuite property now. Um, and again, amazing in terms of cash flow from it, um, over a thousand pounds a month, just net profit. Um, and even probably, uh, um, and some more than that, really. Um, and if I if I think about the refinance of that property, that property has been able to allow me to release all of the money that I put in 100%, the total value. So I bought that property for £175,000 at that time and um, has allowed me to be able to release money from that property to be able to buy other properties. And I think for me, I think if I had known what I know now, I probably would have done all of that from the beginning. Do you see? I probably would have done that in the first two to three years of owning that property, but I didn't know. So I think probably maybe it took me three or four years or so. So it's, it wasn't like it was delayed, but I didn't realize that you could do all of those different things with the property. Um, and then over the years, I've just tweaked things a little bit and a little bit in that property. And actually I focused on other, um, other ventures. And still now, when I look at that property, there is so much more I could do. So for example, we were speaking to the architect um, about, uh, just before COVID, we were speaking to the architect. So the garden of the property is a shared garden with upstairs as well, but we would be able to get planning because of some of the other properties around ours, it's in Haringey. We would be able to get planning to basically build like a, um, a two bed bungalow in the garden of the property without um, infringing on the other property's garden, for example, or having any issues, etc., cetera, um, with it to the point where the architect even told me, why don't you ask upstairs, could you buy their garden? You don't even need to buy the property. Could you buy the garden? This is the opportunity with this space. Your garden could, could, could build that bungalow. Their garden could definitely build another house or a couple of houses there. Could you buy it off them? So it's just, I think for me, still, that's still one of the best things that I, I have done. And, and I've got properties abroad as well. So for me, that property is still one of the best in terms of just rinsing and repeating. And there's still so much potential about what could be done to that property. I hope that answers the oh, question. <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. So it, with that property, I'm assuming you've taken out all of your money. Oh, yeah. Is my assumption? Oh, wrong? no, no, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and some. <laughs> yeah, so definitely the money I've put into it has come out. Definitely the value of the property, that 175000 has been taken out from refine. Whoa. It's, it's more than oh. doubled its value over the, over the years. Wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So when, when you are, you know, helping health professionals, if they're interested in property, what sort of things do you advise them to look at or what things do you look at together or do you just do JVs or do you know, do they do things on their own or is it a mixture of all of those things? Really, really good question. So I have a very specific program at the moment. Um, I have done before property investing mastermind with healthcare professionals where we, again, we gave it education. Um, I had a group of myself, brokers, uh, my husband, uh, as you, who you know, um, who is a um, both uh, Lettings estate and management agent in his own business and sourcer. Um, and then I also had like a property um, tax accountant as well. And we used to have sessions together with them. But again, I found there was a gap between knowledge and doing. <laughs> so um, specifically my accelerator program for healthcare professionals, I'm super intentional now around them understanding strategies in property and starting with strategies that will make them money from where they are right now. So what I do is at the moment, I don't do JVs. We are definitely open in Medics on Fire in investing in um, our accelerators deals or even their businesses. So 100%, they do a session with us um, as part of that program where they have to pitch their business back to us um, that they have created as a result of that program. And definitely I would have an interest in the future because of course you've walked through their journey, you've taught them how to do things, you've walked through the journey with them. And of course, being their coach, I understand where they are coming from. I understand some of their motivations and I can align with that. There is a potential in the future to be able to invest in their deals. But as part of the program, my focus, prim primary focus is about them understanding the different arms of property strategy. I think sometimes when you go online 
I, I think it's important to develop yourself and I encourage people to follow property experts, etc., because it's really, really powerful. But sometimes when you go online and you consume that content, it isn't always put in a very structured A, B, C, D um, 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 way that can be easily um, actioned. So part of what I do in my program is I explain the tenants and the principles of property investing and the different options. Um, definitely, I don't go to the areas that I don't do. So I don't do commercial to resi, for example. So I wouldn't necessarily talk about that, but I might mention it. But when it comes to kind of residential property, <laughs> you know, I, I talk about some of the tenants of the different ways that you can invest in residential property. And with my husband, with his business, we also do kind of rent to rent to purchase lease options as well, which I'm really excited about. So we can talk about different strategies and then I give them an understanding of how you work out with your personal goals, your personal circumstances, your time availability, because my clients are also working typically full time or perhaps just just about less than full time in their jobs. So how are you going to be able to marry that up with a specific property strategy? And that's what my coaching bit does to make sure that you're able to create a plan for yourself that will work going forward. And I'm, I'm really, really pleased because I believe we are achieving that for them. Excellent. So it, what what do people tend to favour in terms of, you know, the, you know, the various strategies that are out there? Because like you say, there are numerous strategies and you actually encourage people to choose the one that is going to be best for them, the one that they want, which is amazing. But do you find, do you find people actually kind of like, you know, veering in one direction more than another? Or is it just kind of like, um, are, are they equally interested in all of them? I don't know. Oh, fantastic question. Fantastic question. So absolutely, by the time I'm done, they're interested in everything. Yes, of course. <laughs> but some of the tenants of what I teach or what I coach through, especially because I do a one-to-one -one with each client on their personal finance side and personal situation. So some of the things that we do, some of the principles we discuss is to think cash flow first so think about a strategy that's going to get you cash flow um, and because if you do that then you can make it a bit more passive you can put some cash injection and then that cash then goes and makes you money so that's going to be typically your buy to let strategies for example or really decent purchase lease option strategy for example the other thing we think about is then in terms of risk we're starting from low risk to high risk because a number of my um, clients might either be accidental landlords so maybe they happen to own one property or they are homeowners themselves, or they might not have any other assets. So when it comes to security and taking risks, it doesn't mean that they can't. And I always say with a caveat, you know, I'm not saying you can't go big. I'm not saying you can't go and do a 20 million pound development. All I'm just saying is that these are going to be the risks that you've got to consider if you're going to go for that. So as a result of that, we start with low risk to high risk. And then we start with the principles is around smaller projects compared to bigger projects. So, you know, for example, um, I've had clients bring deals that are similar to some of the things that I have done. But you see the challenges, you know this, Patricia, is that when they're thinking about taking on bridging finance and then they've got to convert that bridge into kind of, um, what's it called, um, convert it to, let's say, a Turn. mortgage, for example. Exactly, yeah, for a mortgage or something then there will be lenders that they might not necessarily be able to access because that lender might want them to have already landlord experience and some of my clients don't have that um, or the, um, the lender might want them to have a year's experience as a landlord so they have to keep their bridging for a year rather than the average six months so again those things are the things that are put into place and we talk about in my sessions because sometimes again when someone just hears it off a stage or off a youtube etc you might not get that nuance of well when you actually get to speak to the broker these are the things the broker is going to have to tell you and this is the access to some of the lenders you're going to be able to get so the question your real question was what do they tend to favor so a lot of it actually depends on how much availability to cash and how much time they have so for a number of people, the purchase lease option is proven attractive because, of course, from a risk perspective, I mean, there are risks involved, of course, but from a risk perspective, depending on how that deal has been packaged and the agreement, not all purchase lease options are the same. But if all the different loose ends are tied up, so vendor can't change their mind, you know, you've got a really, really good, um, uh, good um, contract 
that tells how you can exercise that option at some point. And that's really clear from the solicitors. Everybody's done their paperwork and they've made it as tight as you can. The purchase lease options can really be attractive for them because it's a lower barrier to entry. Um, one of the options that isn't always as favorable for my clients is the rent to rent option, for example, because the rent to rent um, tends to be a little bit more involved. Uh, they, they might need to then find the right deal. There is a bit more to guarantee um, because then you are guaranteeing that rent to that landlord. So it might not be as favorable to them. And from their perspective, if we can put cash into something, we'll rather put cash into something that we might want to own later on in the future. Um, and I'm just trying to think. And then, of course, buy to let are always a great option. <laughs> buy to let are always a great option for anybody um, because at least that's the vanilla. But we must not look down on the vanilla because that is literally a passive if you get a management company involved with passive, passive cash flow. So again, I encourage almost all my clients to consider the management option as well. When we do our numbers, we always build in management costs because again, I'm working with professionals who are working full-time or just about less than full-time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right, okay, that sounds really, really interesting. And when you say, um, purchase lease options works really well for them because they don't have to put that much money in I'm thinking people listening to this might be thinking there's no hope for anyone else we're talking medical professionals here we're talking maybe like you know GPs you know consultants you know doctors in the in, in the hospitals registrars if they're struggling to find money ugh, who's no one will be able to, to kind of like you know find money so elizabeth you are being a bit modest um so um but it's it's it, it's 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 lovely to hear you know how they think about things and how you actually help them through that journey um and you know anyone who might be listening to this if you know of any medical professional that might be interested in property you know where to direct them to, to, to Dr. Elizabeth. So, okay, so we've spoken about what you do for, um, in the main, within your programme, but how do people... Sorry, Patricia, just to, just to, can I just come in on that money piece, if that's okay? I'll, I'll make it really quick. Um, yep, so, definitely. absolutely, and I think for me, um, and this is the bit where, like I said, it's not always easy for healthcare professionals to discuss. You are right. We are talking GPs. You are right. We are talking dentists. We are talking consultants, etc. So it's not just even maybe the junior member of staff. It is across um, the whole professional um, um, professional levels. Um, but actually, part of the attraction for a number of clients for working with me is because I am intentional about talking about funding options. And I think that's, again, something that those people who are sharing about property or teaching about property must really talk about that barrier to entry around funding, getting the money. There is a perception that people need a lot of money. And I want to be honest, even me, myself, um, using other people's money was a journey that I had to go on myself. So one of the things that I do intentionally, and we had a session last Tuesday, and then we had a um, kind of like a Q&A session last night. So we do two sessions a month and the last Tuesday session, part of the a good portion of that was around funding sources for your business or your property business. And really quite a lot of detail about some of the options and the pros and cons of each of those options for your um, for your property business. So that's sometimes what's missing for people is for them to be able to know that they don't have to wait until they've saved up £110,000, £20,000, £50,000 before they could get into property. These are some of the things that you could do to get to property right now. And that's really something I'm quite proud of, actually. Thank you for highlighting that. Hey, thank you. So people who, who are in the room or who might be listening later, Elizabeth's website can be found at www.medicsonfire.com. So that is medics, M-E-D-I-C-S-O-N-F-I-R-E. Dot com. Great stuff. So how long is this program that you've um, set up for health professionals? How, you know, from start to finish, how long will it take? Um, and then do you find that, uh, you know, what percentage of uh, 
attendees are actually successful. I don't know if you um, have those kind of like statistics. Oh, fantastic, fantastic question. Again, really great questions. So um, I'm really, really super intentional about people's goals for the program. <laughs> and so people know when they come on the program, you must take action. So 100% of people are starting up new businesses. Um, I, I know there was one particular person in the first court who already had a business um, set up, but it, it wasn't focusing yet on property. So therefore, we just had to make sure that that, that um, you know, she had those conversations to make sure that that was set up in the right way, for example. Um, in terms of the mindset shift, 100% of people are getting the mindset shift. In terms of getting deals, 100% of people are getting deals because <laughs> I make you get deals from day one. So um, the program goes for four months um, and we do two sessions a month. Um, and we do a coaching session. So each session is about uh, uh, roughly four hours, sometimes up to five, six hours, depending on what we're sharing. So yes, we do go on a bit longer, but just because there just is that much to kind of share and go through. Um, and each person is encouraged. Um, so it's, an, it's, an, it's a combination of creating a business and there are specific business streams that I focus on, property being one, online business being one. And so we do that in tandem together in this group um, um, accountability session, because it's important that you said to me you're going to do X and your group members remind you next week that did you do X. So for me, that's really, really important. So everyone is encouraged to go and source out those deals or work with a sourcer to get those deals or go and do viewings, etc. So I'm really pleased. Um, uh, I, I won't mention her, but I do have one of my clients. I do have a few clients. I have about four or four in the audience. I do have a few clients in the audience, in the audience, but I'm really pleased with one of them. I won't sing you, sing you out because obviously this is going recording is going to be shared other, other, other um, platforms. But I was really pleased, for example, when she said she had listed kind of 17 agents in her area. So you know who I'm talking about now, 17 agents in her area. And she has spoken to about six to seven of them already about rent to rent options because of the um, kind of strategy, semi independent living strategy that she has for her property business. And you know, things like that make me super, super proud. Because otherwise, if we're not careful, we're, again, this is the theme of everything I'm saying, we're taking in information, but we're not taking actions. Um, and it's about taking those actions, getting out there, speaking to those agents or um, looking at those properties. So I encourage my clients, okay, when are you gonna go on those viewings? When are you gonna go look at those properties? When are you gonna check out that deal? If property is their focus, when are you gonna come on Clubhouse? So I do the online business element of it as well. So you will see a few of my clients have popped up on Clubhouse and they're doing Clubhouse rooms or they're doing Instagram lives because now they begin to build their audience. And these are people who are working as nurses and doctors on the wards, but now they begin to build their side business into an actual credible business. So um, I'm really proud of you all because I can see you all, some of you in the audience. So well done, everybody. Hey, and to, to those clients, yeah. That, again, I'm really proud of you as well, even though I don't know who you are, <laughs> um, because it shows how committed you are you've left whatever you're doing today and you've popped into this room to hear Elizabeth talk. That is someone who is committed to what they're doing. So that is what makes me proud of you. So um, now let's ask, to round up, can you talk about the easiest deal that you've ever done in property? So this is property now. The, the most simple one, the, the kind of like, really? Wow. I'm so lucky. That kind of deal. Yes. Oh, that's a tough one because I'm a buyer of properties. <laughs> so therefore, as you can imagine, purchases are not, um, are, I can't, I'll be honest, I don't think any of my purchases have been like vanilla roots. There's always had to be negotiation. But, but perhaps, perhaps. Um, I can focus on this one that we're developing now, maybe. So um, this property was on the market um, about um, October, November, um, two years prior um, for uh, £450,000. 
um, because of the area it was in a two bedroom house um, and uh, looked really lovely just looking at it. But I felt it was overvalued at that price. Um, and then it was reduced to 420. So I was watching it, observing it. It was reduced to 420,000 pounds in December of that year. I'm a lurker in December. I look for properties in December because sometimes people that were looking to make their sale as, as a result of December is that, you know, people preparing for Christmas. For some reason, people take lots of time off over Christmas. So sometimes things can either sit there and you're not really getting viewings, etc. So I'm a really big one around December. I, I always look for properties. I've done it for years. So around December, I looked at this property again and it had gone down to 420,000. Um, I spoke to the agent and I was able to actually view it myself at that time. Um, but like I said, the paper exercise, um, it wasn't really, I still did not feel like it was worth that amount. Um, went into the new year and asked the agent again, is this property still on the market? Yes, it is. Um, and I said to him, look, we would consider making an offer. Um, remember, I'm a team, so I've got to still convince my husband that it's worth the value as well. <laughs> so we, we would consider making an offer, um, but we think it's overvalued. And he said, well, you know, the, the guy's looking for cash purchases only. And we thought, okay, fine, you know, we can get bridging. We can go for cash. We did our numbers. We're really intentional and detailed about our numbers. Um, and we ideally wanted to get it for 375. We did our desktop analysis. So we did all the reports. And again, because of my husband's access, we were able to have, have access to a little bit more information on things like right move and Zoopla behind the scenes when you're kind of um, putting properties out there, you get a bit more detail. So we were able to get all of that detail together and we made our case for 375. Um, and we said, fine, we'll go ahead with the cash purchase if that's something that you were interested in. And he, he came back to us, uh, the, the vendor, um, by the agent and he was like no 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 you know i'll do 385 or i think maybe 390 or 385 but um i'm going to need it to be cash still so we went back and we said um nope uh we will do the 385 but now you're gonna have to go for a mortgage sale and i don't even now i don't even know why we added that on <laughs> necessarily but you know when you just want to you want to get something but Honestly, we felt like it was a really, really fair price. We felt like it was really fair because there were other properties. Um, there was one other property on the market at the 420 mark that was also a two bed, but it was, it was much more done up. And this particular vendor was making the, the sale based on the fact that it had some planning approved on the property. But from our perspective, we had already costed how much the build will cost us. And we knew it was going to be about 180, 200K for us to be able to do the build that we were planning to do on the property because we'd have to go for several more rounds of planning. So we've had about three rounds of planning that have been approved already on this property. And now we've got this um, HMO plan that we're waiting for. So when we knew it was going to be a journey for us to be able to um, achieve what we wanted. And he came back and he agreed to the three at five and um, with the mortgage purchase. And that's how we are where we are now. So I don't know, was that smooth? That's what I'm saying. I don't think most of the purchases for me have been smooth. <laughs> that's that's probably the smoothest, I would say, Patricia. Oh, it sounds good. But, you know, this is what people are saying about agents. They are overvaluing properties because, you know, from 450, clearly they didn't have anyone to bite. They went down to 420 and you were able to buy it for, you know, 385, which is amazing. So, uh, you know, I'm clapping my hands, you know, for you in terms of that achievement. And that is actually really, really good. Oh, thank, you know, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I'm I'm I personally I'm all for, you know, buying what whatever you need to buy on the open market. Because there's so much to be had on the open market if you know what you're looking for and if you know how to negotiate, just as you guys have done. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, st I'm still clapping. I'm clapping silently. <laughs> um, so for people in the room, we're coming up to one o'clock, which is when we normally finish. Um, you have been listening to Dr. Elizabeth A. Tayo. And she has been very, very generous with her shares, you know, from the heart, completely honest. And that is what the guest series, the Maximising Property Values guest series is all about. So please do tap on Elizabeth's face so that you can follow her and you can, you know, tap on the bell icon on her um, profile so that you can get notified whenever she talks. And you, so for those of you who might maybe want to listen to this again, 
where can you find it? So it's going to be on Clubhouse for certain, and you will be able to find it on Clubhouse under either Elizabeth's profile, my profile, or Maximising Property Pound, 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 the club, under the club's profile. And it's going to be released as a podcast on Wednesday. So a week today, on Wednesday, it will be released as a podcast. So, um, you know, people, I just really want to say, you know, thank you very much for, you know, being here with us. And I'm literally just going to pin the link for the podcast again. So if you if you want to be notified when the podcast is released, just tap on the link above um, our heads. And then if you see your favourite listening app, tap on that and you'll be able to, you know, manoeuvre your way to, to subscribing to this particular show. So next week, Wednesday, I've got a conveyancing solicitor. If you've got any questions for her, put them through to me before next week. So uh, we've got Bushra Mohammed, who is going to be coming on here on Wednesday and it's going to be interesting. Now for Bushra's um, uh, thing, I'm going to have to write my questions down so that I don't, I don't veer off course. I won't be able to just kind of like, just completely relax and just ask, you know, just go with the flow. I'm gonna have to keep on track. So <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you so, so much for doing this with me. And like I said, people, if you're not already following Elizabeth, please do tap on her face and follow her because she has amazing rooms. And they're not just for healthcare professionals. They're the people that she focuses on, but anyone can benefit from her rooms. Um, so that might be a good idea for people to do. But yeah, thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you to everyone who has spent their afternoon here with us. And hopefully we'll see, I will see you next week on Wednesday. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Patricia, for having me. Awesome time. Thank you so much.